Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and we live in a quite quite a hostile world, I must say. And there is a lot of people that are quick to cancel. If you say something that they don't agree with, they don't want to have dialogue anymore. They just want to disregard you, cancel you. And I think more and more are believers going to be faced with uh, that kind of hostile uh, attacks. And we are living in it today. My guest is Joe Dallas. He's written a book, a couple years ago about Christians in a cancel culture, speaking with truth and grace in a very hostile world. And he is joining me uh, on the show right now. Joe, welcome. Hey, Bill. Thanks for having me back. It's good talking with well, you. I always enjoy when you come on. You're always filled with wisdom and, and uh, always a very interesting perspective. There's so much cancel culture going on right now, and there is so much hostility towards Christians as they're, you know, we're prepared for that. Jesus said you will be persecuted, so don't don't be surprised. But uh it seems like every day the culture the cancel culture is embracing kind of a new world vision. What is this? Well, I think we're seeing an open manifestation of what has always been there, but for us it's been basically theoretical. We have believed all of us who have been believers for decades, we've believed all along that uh, if the world hated Jesus, the world would hate us, that there would be hostility and even persecution. But those have been largely theoretical points until about the last three to five years. And now we're seeing the open manifestation of it. And I think, uh, you know, part of it, at the risk of sounding cliche, is the times. I think that this is the end of the end times. I think that just as was predicted about these times, there would be open manifestation of things like violence, hostility, evil, and so forth. Um, and, and I think that this is also a manifestation of self-righteousness gone amok. I mean, the cancel culture movement, whether you call it cancel culture or social justice or the woke movement, the one thing that, that all these movements have in common, they are brazenly self-righteous. And if you think about it, Bill, self-righteousness can be quite a drug. When you are told that you have a righteous cause, that you're one of the righteous people who is a part of the cause, and the other people are the infidels who need to be converted, man, that feels powerful. Mm-hmm. And I think that we are in a season where people are being told to join up with these pseudo-righteous social causes and I think it really gives people permission to kind of run amok. You know, one of the, the sad parts of dark human nature, fallen human nature, is a love for power. And uh, this is quite a power grab. We see people feel powerful by saying they are morally superior to other people and they need to re-educate, convert, or silence other people. Hmm. So all of those factors, I think, are playing into this. And they're the, probably the most obvious I didn't even touch on is the fact that this world is Uh, largely influenced and even governed by the prince of the power of the air. Paul said that at one time, when we were non-believers, we walked according to the course of the world. 
well, now we're walking a different way. And, you know, Bill, you can't you can't be walking up the down escalator without getting some pushback. Right. So I think that's a big part of what we're seeing, too. Yeah. I mean, we're four minutes into the interview and I'm already getting piles of wisdom from you, Joe Dallas. It's amazing. So when you um, have conversations with with people and you want to obviously stand for biblical truth, you don't want to come across angry or weak. Uh, but this self-righteousness you talked about, a lot of Christians are criticized because we come across as self-righteous because we call people sinners. <laughs> How dare you? Yeah. <laughs> well, I think the difference—well, let me backtrack a little. Uh, I've known plenty of Christians who deserve that criticism. I mean, come <laughs> on. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. It's not like all of us have done such a bang-up job. I don't believe the press we're getting, Bill. I think that that, um, the media and many of the secular influencers would have us believe that Christians, by and large, have been guilty of being hyper-judgmental and self-righteous and condemning. I don't buy that at all. I will say that some have. But here's the big difference between the Christian message about sin and what, what I would call the woke or the cancel culture message. We do not say we are morally superior to any other people. Any Christian who is biblically grounded and has any understanding of the Word of God knows that he is a sinner. And we cannot go to the culture and say, you people need to be good like us. No, thank you. (laughs) We are there as sinners saved by grace, saying there is a way to salvation. The woke movement, the cancel culture movement, these coerce people by saying, until you are converted, we are morally superior to you. And that is one other point, if I can make. Mm-hmm. We, as believers, express, but we do not attempt to coerce because we know we can't. We're not trying to arm wrestle anybody into the kingdom of God. We express our beliefs, and we should. Actually, we need to do a better job of being bold and clear about expressing our beliefs. But we do not seek to silence people who hold different beliefs. And there's the difference. We follow along with Paul when he went up to Mars Hill. He didn't say, oh, I've got to do what I can to tear down all these idols that these crazy Athenians are looking at. He basically said, let's talk. Um, Cancel culture wants to say, no, let's not talk. I will talk. You will shut up and listen. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we do not wish to coerce as cancel culture does. And there is the difference, I think, between the Christian position and approach versus the cancel culture position and approach. Mm -hmm. Joe Dallas is my guest. He's an author, a conference speaker, an ordained pastoral counselor. He has a uh, counseling ministry, especially for those dealing with sexual and relational problems. Uh, Joe, when you think of what's going on with the transgender movement nowadays and, and the and the the way in which they say you will um, cooperate with us or else. Uh, How do you respond to that? Bill, I think one of the things that will require the most boldness and steadfastness from the church today is the movement to legitimize transgenderism and homosexuality. I think that that will be one of the absolute um, dividing lines between the Christ follower and the world. I think we have no choice but to be uncompromising in saying, look, you perhaps as an adult, not perhaps, you do as an adult have the right to exercise your free will to identify yourself as something that you are not. But you will not coerce me into joining you in that identification, because to do so would be to betray the one who I believe and know created you and created me. 
if I were to go along with you in saying that you as a biological man are a woman, I will be telling my God, my creator, that he didn't know what he was doing when he created you. Mm -hmm. That I will not do. So there are some lines that we just can't cross. And at that point, we have to say what Peter and John did. Sorry, we ought to obey God rather than man. Yeah. What else can we do? Mm -hmm. What they want you to do is they want you to say the lie out loud. And we, we will not do that. Well, Bill, one thing I try to reason with people about is that very issue. Why? Do you need me to agree with you? Can you stop and be reasonable enough to understand that if you were really convinced that what you're doing is right, you would not so need for me to tell you that you're right? Because I have no doubt that I'm right in my basic beliefs. I don't need to coerce you into agreeing with me. Can't you think of how this is perhaps displaying some doubt on your own part? I mean, I think that's a reasonable question. Mm Mm-hmm. When you uh, hear the words tolerance and diversity, what comes to mind? Uh, <laughs> anything but. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was going to be your answer, Joe. No, I thought that was going to be what you were going to come up with. Those, those are lovely concepts. Once upon a time, remember those cute bumper stickers that said coexist? Yeah, right. Yeah. That, you know, well, tolerance <laughs> and diversity, it's, it's like Animal Farm, the old saying, you know, um, all animals are equal, but some are more equal than others. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when it comes to tolerance and diversity. <laughs> the very groups that say we want tolerance and diversity are, in fact, the most intolerant and the least diverse. I mean, I'll I'll overstate the obvious here, um, Bill. Um, Diversity of experience is one thing, but if you don't have diversity of beliefs or of viewpoints, you don't have diversity. And I find that the groups that call for diversity actually demand uniformity of thought. Even if you have different backgrounds, you could be a person of color, you could be a lesbian, you could be a transgender, you could be Hispanic, you could be whatever, as long as you all believe the right things. Well, that's not diversity, you see, Mm -hmm. nor is it tolerance to say you're okay as long as you believe what I believe. Christians, in fact, if we are following Christ properly, we are the most tolerant of all people. Paul even told the Corinthians, what do I have to do to judge those on the outside? Those on the outside, God judges, but within the church, we will speak and adhere to truth. Mm -hmm. Joe, I always thought people that had the coexist bumper sticker were people that probably haven't spoken to their family in three years. (laughs) You're fine. And you know what? That not only is that true, but it's tragic because, um, well, let me put it this way. When I started my work back in 1987, I worked with a lot of families where a son had just come out as gay to the parents. And uh, the Christian parents would call and ask for counsel, and I would work hard to convince them not to throw that son out of their life, not to excommunicate that son from the family, not to disinherit the son. I would say, please don't cut off your relationship with your son because of this. You obviously cannot approve of this, but that doesn't mean you have to end the relationship. Well, that's not what's happening now. I'm talking to Christian parents who are asking me to ask their son, please don't throw your parents out of your life just because they won't agree with you. Wow. The parents are the ones who are saying, hey, we want a relationship even though we disagree with you, but it's the sons and daughters, largely, who are saying, no, mom, dad, if you don't convert to my way of thinking, I will have nothing to do with you. Mm -hmm. It's like we've got a a reverse form of Puritan shunning going on. Wow. Uh, you know, that's so true, Joe, because I've received text messages from listeners that are saying, I don't know what to do with our kids because this is that's 
that's the story that that you've just shared is they are cutting yeah. they're being cut out by their kids horrible and you imagine what that would do to you as a father bill yeah it'd be brutal oh, yeah I, yeah i can't even imagine yeah let me ask any listener who might be in this situation if you have a question for joe dallas you can text it over 877-933-2484 again 877-933-2484 joe dallas is my guest and his book that he's written is called christians in a cancel culture we'll be right back Hi, Faith Radio family. It's Bill Arnold from the Afternoons with Bill Arnold Show. Boy, the creativity never ends, does it? So here you are listening to a podcast, which makes me very happy. So thank you for doing that. And thank you for being interested in Faith Radio and the podcast. Now, because the podcasts are made available because of listener support, I would like to ask you kindly and prayerfully to consider supporting the show and Faith Radio. So you can become a Afternoons with Bill Arnold supporter by doing that at myfaithradio.com. So thank you for listening to the show and your financial support makes podcasts like mine possible and helps tell more people around the world about Jesus through Faith Radio app. Support the show now, please, at myfaithradio.com. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. I'm back with Joe Dallas. Always glad to talk to Joe. Let's get back to cancel culture because uh, tell me what you think Satan's strategy is to try to destroy God's handiwork and and all of what's happening with um, this uh, the transgender movement and everything else. Well, that's such an important question because I've often felt, uh, Bill, this goes back to something that probably happened in the garden when Satan looked at what God had created. Adam, Eve, their raw, unashamed, naked sexuality, the the nature of the male-female union, the family, all that would go with it. And I think he said, I'll take that. And I think that's exactly what he had in mind from the beginning. And I think what we're seeing now is more and more um, there is, whether we want to say he is being given a little more leeway or the restraining power of the church is less than it used to be, or for whatever reason, I think now he has a stronger voice than he has traditionally had, certainly in our country. Mm -hmm. And I think that the way he works, of course, Bill Satan never uses caller ID, does he? I mean, he never says, hi, this is Satan. I have an idea. (laughs) No, no, no. He masquerades as an angel of light. And in this case, the angel of light is the avenger of righteousness. Mm -hmm. You need to be righteous people. Let me explain to you how. And, And one of the key ways to do that is to appeal to man's desire to be his own God. Now think about this, Bill, this whole idea of I get to identify what I am and you must go along with that identification. What is that if not saying I am divinity? Mm -hmm. I have the right to speak into existence what is not, and because I say it is, therefore it is. That's the usurping of divine authority, and I think what, what could be more along Satan's handiwork, guideline, principle, than to get humanity to say I am God. And, and thereby, I think that's the real end game 
I think that, that, of course, the evil in this is the hatred of life. The look, look at the pushback when the Supreme Court, um, in essence, rolled back the influence of Roe v. Wade and, mm-hmm. and sent the abortion question back to the states. You would think the Nazis had just taken over America. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you look at the pushback in that, and what is that if not that sort of, I believe it's the influence of evil, his influence in the world saying, I demand the right to kill the unborn. And if, by, if God forbid, the unborn live, then I have the right to deny what God made them to be. If they are males, I want them to identify as females, castrate them, mutilate their bodies, pump drugs into them, mm-hmm. ruin their capacity for being the men and women God intended them to be. If I cannot destroy human life, then let me destroy human potential. That's his nature. Wow. And I think we're seeing unbridled uh, efforts and influences along those lines. Mm-hmm. Joe Dallas is my guest. Joe, a couple uh, comments are coming in the text line. The exact mm-hmm. thing happened to my husband. My son got married, and of course, married is in quotations, and yeah. disowned my husband and I. We attended the event. We gave a gift. That wasn't good enough. We had to agree with his lifestyle. We haven't talked in about eight years. My husband still cries. I'm so sorry. I mean, this is horrible. This is horrendous. But let me tell you this. I, a lot of people think, well, then the thing to do is just say what they want you to say so that you can win them, so you, that you can have them. Nobody. Well, it depends on what you mean by winning them. If you just want to make people like you, then okay, tell them anything they want to hear. But you cannot win anyone to the truth by compromising the truth. So I do believe that the fact that he won't talk with you um, is the proof that something is wrong in his own conscience. I believe he's like Saul of Tarsus kicking against the pricks. And as horrible as this is for you and your husband, I think it's an indicator that there is still hope because he is not comfortable with that decision he made. If he was comfortable, he would have never needed to cut you off. Mm -hmm. So I would pray that he continues to question whether or not this is right. And in the meantime, you're there to welcome him back whenever he wants to return. But you are right. You cannot um, make a concession to him by saying, okay, we will tell you what you want to hear in order to keep a relationship with you. We are not breaking the relationship off. We're sustaining the relationship. You're the one who's choosing to leave it. Mm-hmm. Here's another question, Joe. I I love my brother-in-law. He has a partner, 15 years. They plan to get married. I have a hard time deciding if I should go because I don't believe that it's okay, but I want to continue to show them Jesus's love. How do I show them God's love but not show up for their wedding? Well, I can show God's love without showing up to an event. Um, I believe that, of course, we are called to love all people, and we can show them love. And in most cases, if they are part of an event, we can go. If I had a gay friend who had a birthday party, I'd be there with a present. Mm -hmm. But I cannot attend a wedding that, that is celebrating something I don't believe in. If I had a straight friend who was married to a woman for 30 years, and he dumped his wife for a 20-year-old and then married the 20-year-old, I couldn't go. Because attendance at a wedding is not attendance at a social event. Your attendance is a statement of confirmation. It is a, If you cannot say, I bless this union that is being celebrated, then I believe you should not be there. And for that reason, I think it's a violation of what Paul told the Ephesians, do not have a fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. And I think that is the difference between loving someone and participating in something that is a violation of your deepest beliefs. It's no violation of your belief to love that man and to be part of his life. 
But that does not mean you need to join in the celebration of something that you cannot celebrate. Mm -hmm. This is, by the way, I'm, I'm here. I am rattling off all these platitudes. Bill. It's, <laughs> You're yeah, not. It sounds so easy, doesn't it? I'm not the guy that's going to have to do this. I get it. To have to look at someone and say I won't be there. But can I tell you a quick story? I think sure. it's relevant. When I married my wife in 1987, now I had been a part of the gay community from 1978 to 1984. When I repented in 1984, I lost almost all my gay friends except a few. Two of them were men who were a couple. They were still friends of mine. They met my fiance when we were courting. They liked her. We all had dinner together. We had a good relationship. But when I invited them to my wedding, now, mind you, Bill, this was 1987. They called and said, Joe, we love you. We respect you. But we don't believe you can ever be anything but gay. And because we believe you will always be gay, it's not right for a gay man to marry a woman. Therefore, we can't come to the ceremony. Well, of course, they were wrong, but they were right. They were right about the nature of marriage, that it's sacred, and that if you can't condone and bless what is being celebrated at a wedding, you shouldn't be at the wedding. So in their own way, here, you know, more than like three decades ago, gay men <laughs> were aware of the significance of marriage to the point where if they didn't believe in the rightness of a wedding ceremony, they wouldn't go. And while they were completely wrong about the idea of being once gay, always gay, I, I respect the fact that they respected marriage so much they would say, if we don't believe in the wedding that is happening, we can't be at that wedding. Now, I think we could take a cue from that. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, Joe Dallas, here's a, a comment. I don't agree with some of the comments. Specifically, I believe the LGBTQ plus people want us to agree with them because they do not have the same rights as typical males and females. They want the right to be able to be who they are. What right do we as Christians have to legislate lives? God says that it is wrong, so why would they want to hear God and be convicted of sin? Uh, I, I would agree with you that they should be allowed to live their lives, but my question to you would be, what makes you think anybody is telling them they can't? I don't see any Christians out there forbidding gay people to live their lives as they see fit. And this is a real misinterpretation of what's happening, Bill, that I, I take real issue with. The LGBTQ movement is trying to convert the thinking of the culture on the definition of marriage and the definition of normal sexuality. Mm -hmm. Christians are resisting that by saying, no, we cannot align our thinking with yours. That does not mean Christians are telling them they cannot be who they are. We are not telling them that. I mean, come on. Even if we tried to, we couldn't force them not to be who they are. We are not telling them you may not be who you are. What we are saying is you may not tell me that I have to agree with what you are condoning. Mm -hmm. And that is not the same as telling people how to live. We are not doing that. And I think it's very unfair and inaccurate to either state or even imply that the church is trying to tell lesbian, gay, and trans people how to live. We are not. Mm -hmm. We are only saying you may not tell us what we can or cannot believe. We would love to reason with you about this. And more important than the gay or straight issue, we want you to come to know Christ because we know there's no other name under heaven or earth Amen. by which you can be saved. Amen. Joe, we didn't have enough time. We're already out, and I still want to ah. keep talking. So. Let's do this again. I think there's more to discuss, and I know there's a lot of listeners interested in this topic, so let's do it again. Bill, anytime. It's Thank always you. a pleasure Thank talking you. with you. Thank you. you. If you want to receive a daily email featuring a 
Scripture Graphic. You can sign up for the verse of the day at myfaithradio.com. I think you should do it. I think it's great. And if you want to share your Faith Radio story, is if Faith Radio has become a part of your daily journey with God, we'd love to hear your story. You can share how God is using Faith Radio to encourage you and to help you grow. You can do that also at myfaithradio.com. We'll take a break. When we come back. Ken Harrison is going to join us. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. Welcome back to the show. I wish we would have had a little bit more time with Joe Dallas. We might even try to get him back because my next guest, Ken Harrison, is uh, not with us yet, so... We're trying to get him on the line. Rosie's doing her stellar job, as always, of calling up our guests and getting them ready. But in the meantime, well, we're going to uh, sit tight for just a second. There is lots of good news coming up. We're having our spring fundraiser coming up, and we're excited about what uh, God's doing through Faith Radio. I'm astounded the reach that Faith Radio is having across the world when I hear that there are 100 countries downloading Faith Radio podcast. It's quite spectacular. And thank you for all that you do and the contributions you make to make Faith Radio uh, what it is. It's uh, We're listener supported and we're here because of you. So thank you very much. Ken Harrison, he's got quite a resume. I, I read this and I go, what a cool guy. Not only is he chairman and CEO of Promise Keepers, but he's had a pretty cool career, including uh, being a Marine. So he's joining us right now. Ken, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. You've got a tough guy voice. I love that. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to say someone was a Marine or an L.A. cop and then they get on with a high squeaky voice. <laughs> yeah, it just you kind of ruins like, the whole... Yeah, if you sounded like Urkel, I would have been I was very concerned. But <laughs> how, many, how many years were you an L.A. cop? I was three. I was there from 89 to 92 and the L.A. The, uh, LA riots and the Rodney King stuff wow. and all that. Yeah, and then you turned down flight school and became a police officer and... It's amazing. Now you're you're at the at the helm of uh, Promise Keepers. It's really cool. No, thank you. And the funny thing is, honestly, one of the things I did when I came in is I said we need to demachoize men's ministry because every time I see men's ministry, I see some guy wielding a sword or you know <laughs> I covered him out. I'm like, you know, I can't remember the last time I wielded a sword. Yeah. So let's uh, let's change the image of this to uh, more of an Atticus Finch, you know, from To Kill a Mockingbird. The the single dad who's standing against the town for the justice, you know, for somebody, let's get rid of all this macho stuff. So, yeah, I often think of that uh, scene, which it's really hard to say even on the radio that Atticus Finch has with uh, the girl's father who claimed that she was yes. uh, raped and, and he spits in his face and he takes a step forward mm. and then reaches into his pocket and pulls out a handkerchief and wipes off the spittle from his face and walks away. I thought, whoa, mm. that is a man. That is the epitome of a Christian man right there. Yeah. 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 So, all right. Um, let's uh, let's chat about a number of things. Uh, first of all, way to go on your book. Um, oh, thank you. And it's called uh, A Daring Faith in a Cowardly World. It's kind of been our topic today so far. And one of the things I wanted to talk about uh, with you is 
the way that players in the NHL are standing up against uh, not wearing the the uh, LGTB or the Pride uh, warm-up uniforms, and that's starting to get some traction. You know, it takes one man. You know, I, what's the passage? I forget. Uh, it's in one of the minor prophets where God is talking about the siege on Jerusalem, where people were boiling their dead babies and eating them because mm-hmm. they were, you know, the Babylonians around them. And God says, I looked for one man to stand in the gap and I could find no one. Wow. What happens when one man, that Russian guy, takes a stand and then other people go, hmm. We're, we need that in the church today. We've got to have godly, brave people. And you know, God greatly values courage, especially when it comes to standing for the, the poor and the oppressed. And, you know, you look at the transgender movement and all this stuff, the, the absolute horror that we're doing to our young kids so that hospitals can make more money and, and activists can you know do stuff. Where are people who are going to stand up for what matters? And we say we're seeing that in the NHL right now. When one person says this far and no more, then the next guy, then the next guy, pretty soon you have a movement. And, and then what did we see? We have liberal cities like Minneapolis. They had to stop the, the gay pride thing at the beginning because too many hockey players weren't going to do it. Yeah, yeah, well, that's that's where we are. We're, I live in Minneapolis, and so I know the Minnesota Wild. I know they, they stood up against it, and so, yeah, it did make a difference. Um, so we, we think of being bold, being courageous. It's, it's uh, not negotiable as a believer. You know, it's funny. It, so I took over Promise Keepers, and one of the things I, I saw all the time is uh, it was five years ago, and we're relaunching. We have a huge tour that's starting up called the Daring Faith Tour. And one of the things I heard all the time was, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, from men and women. Mm-hmm. What are you afraid of? And people had a hard time articulating, but when you really got down to the brass tacks with them, it was, I'm afraid of people saying bad things about about me. I'm afraid of being on social media. I'm afraid of being excluded. And I, I would quote to them Matthew 5 all the time. Blessed are you when people persecute you and say all kinds of evil things against you. Rejoice. Great is your reward in heaven. So if people are saying mean things about you, that means you're exactly where God wants you to be, as long as they're saying mean things about you because you're a good Christian, not because you're a jerk. But that's a that's a sign that you're walking in holiness in Scripture. We we have a time now where we need people to stand up and be counted. And I think the reason that they're not is because we've taught cheap grace. Mm-hmm. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer called it, where you say a prayer and you you claim that you're a Christian without any sort of repentance or real faith. And we have to get back to the idea that what you do with your faith greatly matters. Second Corinthians 5.10 says, all Christians will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For what? To be judged with what they did with their salvation, not for the sake of salvation, but for the sake of crowns and reigning and rulership with him. And that's what the book During Faith is all about. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to taking a stand, is it an act of daring faith or is it in, in intolerance? I mean, look at the way they're going to be responded to. They're, they will do everything they can to try to ruin their lives. That's right. Yeah, I guess, you know, as a very young man, being an L.A. cop during the Rodney King days, one of the lessons I got was just because you're doing what's right doesn't mean you're going to be popular. <laughs> Good point. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people were. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many shootings we were in. How many people would come up behind us and try to to shoot us in the back? Um, it was a horrific time, and we were standing for righteousness and justice. And the, our biggest supporters, by the way, were the people of Compton and South Central Los Angeles because they knew how much they needed the police. And our, our relationship with them was great. But I did learn early on that 
if you're really truly standing on truth and justice for all the right reasons, you're going to have a lot of enemies. Mm-hmm. Um, Ken Harrison's my guest. Ken, when you read some of the news, and I don't, I, I don't read news anymore, so I'm hearing about stuff. <laughs> I really, I, I gave it up in uh, in the fall, but I'm hearing uh, about things from my friends that I'm having conversations with. And they'll say, I know you don't read the news, but I got to tell you this story. So I will hear stuff, right? And one of the things I've heard recently is uh, about the um, the tr- uh, transgender that is uh, a spoke, you know, getting a, some Bud Light time and mm-hmm. how it has affected their bottom line to the tune of about uh, four or five billion dollars already in, in the negative. I would believe that. I mean, I was just actually I just got back from Nashville late last night. And the big news there was a bunch of the bars in downtown Nashville are now not serving any Anheuser-Busch. And it was uh, one of the famous country guys. I don't listen to country music. so I don't. One of the guys owned a bar down there. He says, look, I'm not trying to make a stand. I'm just telling you, I I sell what sells and nobody will buy a Bud Light. I have cases of Bud Light downstairs that that I can't get rid of. Wow. Praise God. If we can even set up a little ways like that, just you know what? If you're a beer drinker, I don't know why you'd be drinking Bud Light anyway. <laughs> <laughs> or listening to this show. So there you go. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Ken, let's uh, talk about living out a daring faith. You know, here's the scary thing for people. Um, Revelation 21.8 has a list of eight people who will for sure be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. And on that list is the usual suspects you'd expect to see murderers, the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers. That list, shockingly for most people, starts with cowards. Hmm. Cowards. I, I think most people, I, I, I speak to a lot of groups and I see their faces like, are you kidding me? Yeah. What is God saying? Because faith, we know that faith is by, salvation comes by faith through, through grace, right? So that, therefore, what God is saying is if you're a coward, if people are suffering because you're too scared to take a stand, because, you know, so you won't, you're not saved. You're not a Christian. I think everyone should really take a look at their, themselves and go, am I a coward? And I define coward as being everybody is scared. Everybody gets scared at times. A brave person is someone who, despite their fear, does the right thing. And a coward is someone who, because of their fear, won't do the right thing. And so is it because, gee, my wife is just a bold prayer warrior, and she's on social media all the time. And all she does is post Bible verses, and she's never political, but she's definitely scriptural. And she'll just get people lighting her up. You know, she would quote a Bible verse, you know, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. And somebody would say, well, Donald Trump sucks. You know, (laughs) okay, I didn't say about Donald Trump. I know. She would say scripture. People would come after her, and she would be by herself and gracefully, lovingly, just correcting people. And then she would get a bunch of private messages from people. You go, sister. I'm on your side. I support you. She's like, man, why are you private messaging me this? Why aren't you standing up for in the public square? Good well, point. I don't want anybody to attack me. So we see that God greatly values courage. He, he, he's a lover of flawed people. He's a, love, a lover of people who fail but who could do the best they can with what they have. But boy, he is not very tolerant. Cowards are the first one on that list of people who have the ability to do something and don't because mm-hmm. they're afraid. Yeah. Ken, how come we never talk about personal purity anymore? <laughs> how come we don't? Yeah. 
Well, it's it's you don't get a lot of money in the tithe bucket when you talk about self control, okay. which is the first thing on the list of of our spiritual gifts. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> but we should be called to hate sin. Uh, absolutely. You know, it's funny because what is what is hating sin? What is that? That's not a cause. That's a symptom. What what is the cause of hating sin? It's fearing the Lord. When we fear the Lord, we hate what He hates and we love what He loves. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says, Continue to work out your salvation in fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Mm -hmm. In other words, after we're saved, we have some stuff to work out. Our salvation? Like, no, we're saved. But what did our salvation mean to us? What does God want us to do? Ephesians 2, 10. He's got a purpose that he laid down at the beginning of time for each one of us. And when we work out that purpose— we begin to want what God wants. He will will and act that we will, excuse me, he'll work in us to will and to act according to his good purpose. What we strongly desire is exactly what he He desires. And so as people say, well, what's God's will? Man, I'm sorry to quote so many scripture, but Romans uh, uh, 12.2 talks about the fact that if we make our bodies a living sacrifice, we begin to want exactly what God wants. That's awesome. Now, you can't quote enough scripture on this show. Good. Yeah, yeah. So let me take a short break. When we come back, I want to uh, pose the question: What, uh, what will, will, what will we tell Jesus we did with our lives when we start thinking about uh, our purpose, our mission, and how we're using our time, our talent, and our money? Uh, because we will want to say that we did something very intentional with our lives. So uh, Ken Harrison is my guest. His book, his amazing book, is called "The Daring Faith." in a cowardly world. Live a life without regret, waste, or anything unfinished. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. Ken Harrison is my guest. He is the CEO of Promise Keepers, and he's got quite a passion for uh, serving God's kingdom, which I really like. I love having him on, and he has uh, also got a, a book uh, called The Daring Faith in a Cowardly World. And we started this conversation chatting about some of the players in the NHL that were that opted out of wearing the rainbow-colored jerseys on their team's Pride Night celebrations, which they would do in warm-ups, and they decided not to do it, and their standing up made a difference. And sometimes it just takes a, cold, a, a, a um, brave, courageous person to make a difference. So, Ken, uh, let me just pose that question back t- to you, and because I, I know you've thought about it. Uh, wh- what are you gonna What are you gonna say to Jesus about how you spent your life? I have a story to tell to answer that. I, I oh, want to good. make a quick comment because you said that. I thought, you know, I get a lot of mail from people who, you know, the conversation we're having. Well, don't you don't you love gay people? So why wouldn't you wear their pride colors and whatnot? And I think sometimes Christians need to be reminded of something that we love everybody who is repentant and seeking the Lord, and we do all we can to turn everybody towards heaven. But First Corinthians six says that among other things, both passive and active homosexuals will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So to love them means to correct them in the air of their ways. And so it's not, we don't refuse to wear 
gay colors or something because we hate anybody. It's because we're not going to say we're proud of your lifestyle. Your lifestyle is great. Let me wear colors that show great your lifestyle. The same as I wouldn't for you know liars or adulterers or anybody else mm-hmm. on that list, right? So yeah. it's not hatred. It's it's love that says we love you. We're with you. We want to give you the gospel. God loves all the repentant. But if you shake your hand in His face and say I'm I, I was made this way and I won't change, then First Corinthians six says you won't see the kingdom of heaven. So I, I just thought that might be a good clarifying thing. Um, LAPD, you know, I'd faced death many times. I had many shootings, always in a bunch of adrenaline. And usually all those things were over before you really had time to process what was happening. But uh, when I was 30 years old, I was hit by a jet ski. The guy was drunk and went to the emergency room and the doctor came in and said, um, you have ruptured your liver. And if less than 40% is ruptured, we'll life let you out. We'll cut it out. It'll grow back. You'll live. If more than 40% is ruptured, you have five hours to live. And I said, well, how will I die? He goes, what do you mean you won't have a liver? I said, well, no, I mean, but what kills me? He goes, oh, well, your body will poison itself to death. And he walked out, and I laid there for an hour waiting for my result, test results to find out whether I was going to live or die. And in that time, I didn't wasn't a flood of adrenaline. It was laying on a gurney staring at a ceiling by myself, wondering, do I, hear, do I feel my body poisoning itself to death? And in four hours, am I going to be before Jesus? And he says, what did you do with what I gave you? And I would have to say, well, Jesus, I was a really nice American Christian. I I went to church, and I know the Bible really well, and I never cheated on my wife. And he's going to say, who was clothed because of you? Who was saved? Who was fed? How was the world a better place because I gave you my Holy Spirit and filled you up with certain uh, gifts what difference did you make? And my answer was going to be not much. I was a nice American Christian. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I'd asked that question many times. What does Jesus mean when he says, if you won't say goodbye to all your possessions, you're not worthy of me? What did he say in Revelation 22? His last words in Scripture, behold, I'm quickly coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to each one according to what he has done. We're saved by grace through faith. So what is he talking about? He's talking about after our salvation. What we matter does greatly. And so facing that in a really real way, I thought at 30, okay, now that I'm 56, I will never be in this situation again. If the plane's going down, if I'm the ship is sinking and I know I'm going to be meeting the Lord soon, I want to know that I'm going to walk into that throne with, with my head held high and say, I've earned the crowns that you promised because I gave all for you. And so I do believe in the last verse of James, correct your brother in his sin and save him from death and a myriad more of sins. We can save our brothers. We want to live for Christ with everything in us, with boldness and courageousness. And you know what comes from that? The power and the joy that Jesus promised each of us in this life and great rewards and crowns in the next. Hmm. I read your story in your book of the jet ski accident, and I got to tell you, it was not comfortable. Really? Yeah. I mean, first of all, how unfortunate. You're just having a pleasant day on a jet ski <laughs> until you get hit by somebody. Then yeah. you go into the emergency room, and you're pretty much saying, I'm bleeding internally, and they, they have you fill out more forms. Yeah. <laughs> then you see other people going on ahead of you, and you're thinking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit here in, in this room and die. <laughs> and then, yeah, the whole thing was uh, real, real hard to get through. It was... Very, very difficult. You know, it's funny. After all I'd been through, 
Yeah, I mean, I didn't give the story just even in the book. I didn't give all the details. It was really hard to believe. They literally just wouldn't help me, and they were just I just sat there forever yeah. until I finally, because being an ex cop, I knew what bleeding internally was sure. like. And you people people bleed to death, and you can't even you can't tell. And uh, boy, I was black and blue for months after that as the blood trying to get out. It was, it was a terrible. But anyway, I'm fine now. But but the point really was. I thank the Lord. You know, I have a friend, Ross Mason, who's one of the most godly men I've ever met. He was a, a iron class iron, iron class, a world class Iron Man, just incredible man, and got in a bicycle accident about 15 years ago, and now he's a quadriplegic. And Ross will tell you he's a man of prayer. But I tell you what, when he starts praying, there's a conversation going on with the Lord that I wish I could ever be at that level. Wow. And Ross says. When I broke my neck, I woke up in the hospital, and the first thing I thought of was, thank God he knew I needed to rest. Quadriplegic. Oh, my. And Ross says, I would have been so busy doing my Wharton School of Business highfalutin thing and, and Iron Man stuff, I would have missed it. I said, missed what, Ross? I would have missed the joy of living in the Holy Spirit every day like I have now in my wheelchair with somebody feeding me. I thank God that he broke my neck. Man... I thank God all I had to do was break some ribs, and now I'm fine. Yeah, right. But what Jesus says, count the cost. What do you want? Do you want, what, you know, he says the power, the joy, the, the effect that we can have when we live for him with everything is something you just can't even comprehend. I tell people all the time, to choose sin, you just don't understand. And, and I tell you, as you get older, uh, it, it, it loses its appeal. I, you know, guys tell me I, I have a lust problem for women. I'm like, really? I, I can't, I can't even relate anymore. I just, I see people who need salvation. I'm not trying to give them my own righteousness. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to say that when you're when you're dealing with issues of the flesh, you just haven't reached a level of a walk with Christ. As you really give up all, you look back and you go, I can't believe that this or that sin or whatever was ever appealing. Mm-hmm. It just, it just. It makes me want to throw up now to even think about that. You, The freedom, and that's what I preach to men, the freedom of being able to look at women as children, daughters of the Most High God, like I'm a son of the Most High God, and living to that standard and relating to them instead of seeing them in a different light the, the way that most men do, mm-hmm. it becomes uh, a life filled with joy that I just I want to pour out to every person that I can. And there's a reason why 80% of the suicides in America are middle-aged men. They've lost their identity. They're living trapped in sin, and they're living like they're slaves of sin. And I see it everywhere I go. And the number one symptom of that is fear. That's why I said at the beginning of the interview, when I took over Promise Keepers, that was the one thing that shocked me is how many Christian men come to me and say, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. Mm -hmm. Wow. Ken, amazing. Ken Harrison's my guest in his book. um, And there's a chapter that he talks about staying salty and that's just part of living out a daring faith. How do we stay salty, Ken? You know, it's funny. You know what makes life really easy is when you have an audience of one. Mm -hmm. When you just live for what we've been talking about, living for Christ and your focus is completely on Him and all the other stuff fades away and you don't really have to worry about what other people think. Staying salty, you know, um, Jesus gives a Sermon on the Mount. That is really the recipe for how we become holy, how we have all the stuff that I've just been talking about. People say, well, okay, Ken, I've heard you all saying all this. Well, how do I do it? Well, Jesus gave that in Matthew 5 through 7. I encourage everybody to go read that. And his words seem impossible. They're so hard, and it confuses a lot of people because they're saying, well, 
I thought we're, I thought salvation just came through belief. Well, it does. He's not talking about salvation. He's talking about becoming holy, becoming a disciple. And as we talked about, the, the number one part of that, the, the first step towards holiness is how he starts it off. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. What does that mean? It means when you get to the point when you realize that I bring nothing to salvation except for the sin that nailed the Savior to the cross, mm-hmm. as Jonathan Edwards said, that's when the first step towards holiness becomes possible. And Jesus goes through the Beatitudes. It's, it's, a, it's a sidewalk to holiness. And that's when he, after that, launches into be the salt of the world. If, if you're not salty, you're just not worth anything but being thrown out of the path and trampled, Jesus says. How do we get there? How do we stay there? The Sermon on the Mount. What's the first step towards holiness? Understanding that I bring nothing. God's not lucky I'm on his team. I'm not better than anybody else. I don't care if you have the biggest church in the world or you run a big ministry or you write fancy books. Do you have the humility that comes from realizing that I'm a sinner saved by his grace and there's nothing else I've done to belong to be here? Now, once I get to that point, truly get to that point, that's when I'm poor in a spirit. What's the next step? Blessed are those who mourn. Because once you realize there's not much about you that's all that special, you start to mourn, right? And then mm-hmm. you get carried through. Pretty soon you hunger and thirst for righteousness. You become meek. You become what's meekness? Meekness is strength under control. Mm-hmm. It's not weakness. It is a strong person who controls that to use it for the good of others. Yeah. Ken, really fantastic uh, time. Thank you for doing this. I've learned a lot today. Oh, thank you, man. I appreciate it. No, it's a lot of wisdom and just a lot of raw honesty and you just are uh, kind of what you see is what you get kind of person, which I, is my favorite kind of interview. I appreciate that, yeah. man. Yeah. Well, thank you, and I'll look forward to having you on again if you're so willing or inclined to do so. Absolutely. All right, thanks. I appreciate you, man. Be back, Ken. Ken Harrison was my guest. His book is called A Daring Faith in a Cowardly World. Live a life without waste, regret, or anything unfinished. Hey, I don't know if you've downloaded the Faith Radio app. Go to your app store and check it out. I have to say, it's a beautiful app. I've got mine on my iPhone. And uh, when you download it, you just can't believe how pretty it is. And you open it up, and it's uh, very easy to navigate your way through it. And you can listen to Faith Radio live, or you can just check out the podcast. It doesn't matter where you go. You can download if you've got that Faith Radio app. So give it a try. And if you don't like it, you know, it's easy just to delete it off your phone. But I'm pretty sure you'll keep it. We will take a short break and be back with more in just a minute. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.